Okay, well, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 122. It is a joy to be opening up God's word with you today, and I'm still celebrating last week our our worship in the park. It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was this wonderful opportunity to be the community that God is calling us to be. God is calling us here at Elam to be a community of everyday missionaries that are growing in our love for God and his word and his people and his purposes in the world. And and last week was this incredible opportunity to cultivate that love for God's people across denominational lines. It was just this sweet moment, this rich moment to express our love for God out in public, to give the Lord praise where creation itself could listen in. And I loved it. And I'm still kind of processing and reveling in that experience last week. So we're going to look at one of the worship psalms in Scripture We're going to look at Psalm 122, and allow me to read it to you as we dive in. The psalmist writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is what it means to be Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my friends and family, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. That's from the New Living Translation. Psalm 122 is one of the songs of ascent. It's a marching song. It's an anthem for the road. It's a song for those who've left home, who are ending their time of lonely isolation to gather together with one another in the physical space of worship. Now, I'm not trying to say that these men and women, boys and girls, had not been worshiping before this. But these were the days before the synagogue These were the days where most of God's people lived in these far-flung, isolated rural villages. And yes, they kept their Sabbaths. One day every week, they'd pause from their labors. They'd gather together as a family in their homes to honor God, to reflect on His character, to praise His worthy name. But they had not been gathering together as a community for worship. They weren't near Jerusalem, but a few times a year, they would go. They would worship together. The realities were that the the complexities of their lives and physical distance had kept them from one another, had kept them from the house of the Lord. But here, something has changed. And the psalmist, he bursts into song. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. 
Joy has filled the singer's heart because he's been unleashed. It's a day to depart for one of Judaism's great pilgrimage feasts. It's this festival of worship that would take place every year in the city of Jerusalem. And our guy, he's just reveling in this opportunity to go with his whole village, with his family, with his friends, with his neighbors, to praise God in his holy presence. And he's thrilled for the journey. He can't wait to ascend that hill for an encounter with his creator. He's so looking forward to the celebration, to the rest, to the renewal of life and connection that will take place there in God's house. I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Joy ought to be our typical response to an invitation to come worship. Don't forget, worship is voluntary. No one forces you to come to church. Each person comes because he or she wants to. And our worship, whether that's the singing or our prayer or our learning from Scripture or our mutual encouragement of one another or our sharing in communion, it's all the overflow and the evidence of each person's love and longing for God. And as you look around you today, don't think, oh, pastor and staff, they did a good job recruiting for church today. Or on a day where it's a little bit slimmer, go, oh, they did a poor job of recruiting for church today. No, the brothers and sisters in Christ that you see here are here because they chose to be here, and it is their joy to worship God. Whether they felt like it when they rolled out of bed this morning, it is their joy to be here and to worship God. And our singer here in the psalm, he's hit the road, but by verse 2, he's arrived in Jerusalem. He's in that special place of corporate worship, the place that was made holy by God's presence. And the grateful offerings of praise back to God by his people. We read this, and now here we are, Standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. The psalmist wants to share with us why. Why we are gathering for worship. Why it is so important. How it shapes us. The value it adds to our lives. Now think of the effort that our singer took to get to that place of worship. He paid a far higher cost than any of us this morning to be here. And he wants us to know why it was all worth it. He had to trek up a hill on foot. Now, some of you have had a brutal work week, a busy weekend. Why aren't you sleeping in? Why aren't you spending time at home in your bathrobe relaxing? Why do many of you on a weeknight rush home after work, eat a quick meal and head out? to your life group, your Bible study? Why do you come to church early on a Sunday morning to pray with us? Is it just for a small sense of human connection? Is there a greater purpose? Why does Scripture state so strongly, do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near? 
Uh, Eugene Peterson, I don't know if you know that name, he has recently passed away, a pastor and writer. Uh, He has this little book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I think it's a masterpiece. It's on the songs of ascent. And he distills down the wisdom of this psalm, Psalm 122, uh, into three insights that I want us to unpack this morning. And his first insight is this, that worship gives us a workable structure for life. The singer declares, Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. The psalmist stops, and what does he do? He marvels at the architecture of the city, that, those magnificent walls, the stonework, and I get it. He's a villager from podunk nowhere, right? He's mud walls and thatched roofs, right? He should be somewhat impressed, right, by these, this great and beautiful architecture. But I think it's more than just the visuals. The words, the adjectives that the psalmist uses to describe what he's seeing and experiencing are unusual. They're never used elsewhere to speak of buildings at all. The terms talk of coherence, of of things fitting together and becoming one, of things making sense finally in a deep and profound way. We see this play out in the name of the city itself, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. It's this compound in Hebrew. The rabbis say it's this mashing together of of the Hebrew word Yireh, which means he will see, and the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness, peace, life as it should be. He will see wholeness, peace, life as it should be. If you choose to enter God's city, to enter into that encounter of communal worship, you will see a heavenly vision. Before your very eyes, God's peace And wholeness will begin to put on flesh. And you'll catch a glimpse of life as it should be. And the singer, he sees all of these disparate tribes coming together in unity. Covered and forgiven under the blood of the Lamb. He celebrates how those from radically different Life situations and experiences as they walk in, they start to say the same things and do the same things and orient their lives around the same goal. Stepping into this community of, this community of worship meant a brief moment of clarity and peace beyond all understanding. You see, the physical act of showing up for worship, it gives us a workable framework to make sense of our messy lives. Peterson says this, In Jerusalem, all the scattered fragments of experience, all the bits and pieces of truth and feeling and perception were put together in a single whole. All the little details of our lives begin to find their place 
in God's story. And the image that came to me this week, it's like we walk into worship and we all come with a bag of our puzzle pieces, right? The little experiences of our lives, the little data points, what's happened throughout the week. You know, some of them we start to see how they're sticking together, but we're confused. We're, we're living life and we've got all this unprocessed data and experience and encounters and emotions and feelings, crises and fears. And when we come into this place, it's as if we bring all of this and as we worship together, God starts to, in real time, miraculously, Give us these moments of clarity, these glimpses where things that were disparate and we couldn't understand start to sing together and make sense. We're given insight. We're given wisdom. We see clearly. It's as a moment, all of a sudden, the, the picture, just for a second, comes together. And we see it clearly. I guess we're leopards, but... I had my wife and kids put this together for me <laughs> as part of the illustration, so I both wanted to show the work and say that when we come into worship, we get this workable structure. Things start to fit. Our stories start to make sense. Our experiences start to make sense. We learn all that we need to know about ourselves and one another, about this hurting world that we inhabit and our loving God who's committed to its rescue. Through the act of worship, we discover who we are and whose we are and what our purpose is. Our life is given direction as we find our place within God's kingdom coming and His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Weekly communal worship is a rhythm of grace. It is a structure for thriving. It's not a one-time experience, but a regular habit of stopping, marveling, and immersing ourselves in the waters of life, in the oasis of His presence. And as we th thrive as God's people, we need this constant refreshing there's so many images that come to mind. When we leave this gathering, it's like a fog begins to descend over our lives. Living out in a dark and hurting world will do that. It'll obscure our vision. It will dampen our spirits. It'll cut us off from the sun's life-giving rays. But in worship, we're invited to ascend that holy hill, to elevate above the fog and the smog, to bask in the sunlight and to see things from God's vista, we see wholeness and peace and life as it should be on the mountain of God. And what an invitation that is. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. The second insight that Peterson distills from this psalm is that worship nurtures our need to be in relationship with God. When we come into his presence to praise him, the very act of worship reminds us 
It encourages us to lean into Jesus, to depend upon Him, to walk and step with Him. This is what we're made for. This is our identity. The singer shouts this out in verse 4. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, they make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the Lord. This is what it means to be Israel. This is what it means to be God's people. Worship reorients us to the primary relationship in our life, which is our connection with our Maker, with our God, our Savior. We are beloved sons and daughters of the King, and worship presses us deeper into our bond with Him. And interestingly, it is our actions that lead the way here, not our feelings. I have one more little nugget for you from Peterson. And if you haven't read A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, it is incredible. Read it. But he writes this, We act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Do you notice if you read the Psalms, the psalmist is constantly yelling at his own soul. Soul, do this. Go and worship the Lord. It is right. Soul, don't you remember that he is trustworthy? He is spurring his soul to action because the turmoil of the feelings are distracting him. They're getting him lost. And he's saying, no, soul, press in to that primary relationship to which God has called you to. You might not feel like worshiping. I know we've been in a moment of, of distrust and disorientation and disconnection. Could it be that we've, it's because we've stopped doing the regular rhythms of worship that train our hearts and our minds, that develop and mature our feelings you see, when we confess, when we praise, when we sing, when we listen to God's Word, when we feast on His body and blood at the communion table, we are training our hearts and our minds to cherish God. We're acknowledging, we're nurturing our need to be in relationship with Him. Now, if you've fallen off the wagon these past few months or years, no shame, but let's get back on the path. Let's exercise our worship muscles because when we do, not only will our feelings for God grow, but also our power, our joy, our effectiveness, our love. To give thanks to the Lord, the name of the Lord, this is what it means, the psalmist says, to be Israel. What it means to be God's people is to give thanks to God. The last insight from this psalm is that worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. Here, in this city of God, in the place of worship, here stand the thrones where judgment is given. The thrones of the dynasty of David. The throne of justice and righteousness upon which Jesus sits. 
from which he is making all things new. Worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. Listen and be awestruck this morning from this holy gathering. Jesus is speaking his justice into the world. And I lied, I got one more quote for you from Peterson. Every time we worship, our minds are informed. Our memories are refreshed with the judgments of God. We are familiarized with what God says, what he has decided, the ways he is working out our salvation. And oh, how the world is hungry for his justice. And when you hear justice, don't think punishment or retribution or revenge. What comes from God's throne is something far higher than that. What reverberates from his presence is the decisive word by which he straightens out and makes right. It's not an arbitrary verdict. It's not God coming in with a hot take. It's an effective word that accomplishes real change. God's justice puts love into emotion. It applies mercy. It nullifies wrong. It orders and arranges goodness in our broken world. The judgments that emanate from God's throne bring salvation and renewal to a groaning humanity. And somehow, according to the psalmist, we gain access to this powerful healing justice when we show up to worship in the temple of His people. It is here where we are schooled in God's ways and our hearts are taught to match beat with His. It's where we receive our marching orders, our words of life that bring solutions to society's intractable problems and healing to to broken lives and sin-infected human hearts. And if I could be honest, I think these last few years of pandemic and political turmoil and strife, all the high-profile scandals in the American church, they've thrown us for a loop. It's been a lot for us to handle, a lot to process, a lot to wrap our minds around. And one of the saddest consequences coming out of that difficult season has been decline in the frequency of church attendance among those who claim the name of Jesus. And don't hear this as a self-serving complaint. I'm not moaning about the health of our institution or the stability of church finances. I am most concerned about the spiritual vitality of God's people in the world. But for a variety of reasons, we've shrunk back from that one tangible activity that focuses our collective attention on the decisions of God. And no wonder God's people seem so divided and combative and just as confused as the world around them. It's interesting, there was a a study that came out just back in June Uh, Dr. George Barna, he's the director of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona State University. He released this groundbreaking assessment of the state of faith here in post-pandemic America. And the study identified three areas of significant spiritual decline since COVID. A, A decline in church affiliation, 
a decline in church attendance, and a decline in core beliefs. For example, since the start of the pandemic, there has been a notable dip in the percent of the population that attends church weekly. It was a six-point shift down. More telling is the dramatic rise of folks whose attendance has shifted from weekly to infrequent or not at all. And they define infrequent by less than once a month. That number shifted up by 15 percentage points. So what do you say? Well, whatever. Folks' patterns have changed. They're just in the building less. It doesn't mean their faith is suffering. Get over yourself. Well, actually, let me read you a portion from this report. Perhaps most shocking was the rapid erosion of foundational beliefs among evangelicals. The survey identified a number of biblical perspectives that fail to resonate with most of the adults who attend evangelical churches. For instance, less than one out of three reject the claim that determining moral truth is up to each individual and there are no moral absolutes. Less than a third of attendees of, a spirit, of an evangelical church reject that. Another shocking revelation is that only four out of ten attenders of evangelical churches contend that human life is sacred. Other biblical perspectives rejected by most evangelicals include the view that the best indicator of a successful life is consistent obedience to God, and that the world, and that world history is God's story and is consistently moving toward the fulfillment of his plan for humanity. Only 48% of church attenders at evangelical churches affirm that. Amazingly, barely half of evangelicals believe that people are born as sinners and can only be rescued from the consequences of that condition by Jesus Christ. The study also noted that one-third of people who regularly attend evangelical churches are not born again, defined by Christians who believe they will live eternally in God's presence only because they confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We got wonky. We lost our connection. We, we got confused. And remember why we gather for worship. We need to come before Jesus' throne together and habitually in order to get into tune with God's heartbeat. We need to still ourselves and listen as He teaches us His truth, as He shares with us His life, as He trains us in his way, as he equips us to be his people of blessing, as he commissions us to go out and love and serve the Lord in the world. We need to worship together because otherwise we become disoriented and spiritually malnourished. Don't forsake the invitation to worship. Worship will give you a workable structure of life. Don't be content with walking around with your bag of unconnected puzzle pieces. It will nurture your need to be in relationship with God. It will center your attention and mind on the decisions of God. 
So set aside the Lord's day for the Lord. Make your pilgrimage into the oasis of his presence and let your actions lead the way. I don't want to see you give up the power, the perspective, the joy, the love, the peace that can be yours because we've gotten out of rhythm, because we've let other priorities crowd out the Lord's call, because we've allowed ourselves to become disconnected or grow disillusioned. The living God is here today when we choose to worship. So let's do so. He's worthy. And this is what we were created for. To say yes to this invitation and it opens up to us these channels of life and blessing. Not only for us, but for others who do not yet know Jesus. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls, prosperity in your palaces for the sake of my family and friends. I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you. O Jerusalem. Worship wets our appetite. It deepens our need for God. It stokes our desire to see God's peace and prosperity wash over our community, our city, our world. And it equips us to be effective partners with God in his work of renewal and salvation. So let us connect with God and one another in worship. May Sundays May we make our costly and joyful pilgrimage to honor and praise our God in the holy gathering of his people. We cannot any longer afford to be jumbled up in confusion, to be spiritually malnourished, to be lost in the fog. May we return to the love and to the patterns of living that we had at first when we first began to follow Jesus. Because it is vital for us to abide to commune with God and his people. You need it. I need it. And our city needs it for us to be equipped and empowered and transformed as the people of God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we pray. Lord, we... God, I think sometimes we think we know better than you, the one who created us. We are at times an over-spiritualized people. We don't think that the tangible is important. But God, you have beckoned us not only to worship in the interiority of our own hearts, God, but you have beckoned us to get out of our houses and to come and to worship you together in community in your holy presence. And God, something beautiful and supernatural happens when we respond to that. You put the puzzle pieces together. You draw us into your heart and you renew our minds. 
Lord, help nothing keep us from worship. Let nothing keep us from giving you worth in the community of the redeemed. And may our worship be heard as it was last week out in public as well. That people might hear and see the hope that we have in you. Thank you for your great faithfulness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.